Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Times Analytics Podcast. Today, I'm on with John Busby. John, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm John Busby, and I am the Chief Marketing Officer and Managing Director at Centerfield. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I'm, I'm so excited to, to chat about Centerfield and, and about your history. So, John, tell us about your background, how you got to your current role. Thanks, Alex, for, for asking. Um, I'm going to try to make a very, very long story short. I'll do the best I can. So <clears throat> I'll, I'll actually start prior to starting a career. I was I, I was a debater in high school and then four years in college, and I was pretty obsessed with it. Um, it involves creativity and a research-driven approach to convincing someone to vote for you. Um, which is like writing and thinking and using data to solve problems. And I imagined my career um, uh, doing those same things for me, making me making me feel fulfilled in that way. And so for the first 10 years of my career, outside of my wild uh, first year in a startup, was in product management, which it took me 10 years to figure out, didn't really do all those things for me. So um, I incubated a think tank inside of a marketing services company, uh, which was like a combination of marketing and analytics. That became our main way of marketing the company, which ultimately led me to running the marketing department. Um, We went public during my tenure there, and I learned what marketing PR and IR was when you're publicly owned. And I also learned how to use research and data and analytics to generate new customer conversations. I was I was at that company for a long time, um, and then after a very cool detour in Amazon's grocery division, which uh, where I I ran I guess you could say business intelligence, um, I joined Centerfield, which is uh, where I am today and where I get to do the things that I really love and can help the company. It sounds like you have a, a background that revolves around research, um, you know, f- finding. Um, basically the the correct questions to answer and focusing on um, maybe the the larger picture rather than being like a very technical problem uh, solver. And I want to ask, like, has that mentality helped you become a leader in analytics? Yeah, Alex, that's a great question. Um, I have had analytics leadership roles throughout my career without without having a degree in let's say data science and i think i think where i specialize is um is understanding business problems that we're trying to solve for and then what data we can use to solve and address those problems and then partner with analytics professionals who could take the next step and address those things with specific analytics or technical solutions. Um, And I've also devoted a really significant amount of time and energy in in understanding how, um, I guess you could say, analytical results influence what we should learn about a business. And that that to me is what the role of a of an analytics leader is anyway. It's not necessarily doing the analysis. That's very interesting. So really about asking the right questions 
um, and and how you know if if one if a team does not have the right questions to answer, then you know there's quite a bit that that you can do with uh, in terms of slicing and dicing data and visualizing. But um, having direction is so important when you're trying to figure out you know analytical um, problems. It's so true. Um, one an, an early mentor of mine preached the the question what are we solving for and and uh i i asked that of myself uh almost prepping for almost every meeting regardless of topic but especially in the field of um of analytics and questions we're trying to answer with data in almost any scenario you or I could look at data and come to three or four different conclusions based on what we're seeing, particularly in digital marketing and analytics, where you're trying to understand the effectiveness of a of a of a test. And so, um, it's not pulling the data or doing the right the right manipulation to the data as much as understanding what you're trying to solve for. But that's just so important. So, you you mentioned that. Um, that you're a CMO, managing director at Centerfield. What does Centerfield do for clients? Thanks for asking. So um, we're we're a marketing services company. Uh, CMOs at at the big brands that we work with, whether it's um, AT and T or ADT Digital Security or Allstate, CMOs always want to expand market share and acquire acquire more customers efficiently, particularly undecided customers. And so we we specialize in that. Centerfield manages, fully manages digital marketing campaigns. And then we ask our brand partners to pay us on an outcome basis. So when we acquire a customer for them and and the incentives are totally aligned because a CMO or a VP of digital marketing, at the end of the day, they're most responsible for more customers. And so we're we're paid it, it we're paid exclusively when we're delivering those things, those things to them. If you ask like what campaigns we run, we have a few channels where we acquire um acquire customers. One is our own digital brands. So we have we have uh, websites like broadbandnow.com or security.org or business.com where consumers find those in Google, make decisions about products, buy products, and um, and our, our brand partners pay us when when a, a product or service is acquired through that. Then we also fully manage paid search and um, uh, paid social other channels as as well. Centerfield, we're headquartered and based um, in LA, near LAX, in a place called Silicon Beach. It's sunny all the time. Um, and if if anyone listening is is interested in what we do, check us out at our website because we're hiring. Awesome. I'll I'll put your link in the description. Thanks. Um, so, how does paid search differ from some of the other marketing tactics that a business would employ? Well. Um, that's a good question. Paid search is the ultimate um, 
in I guess intent based media or medium because a consumer is telling you exactly exactly what they are looking for, and so if an if a consumer is looking for something like like a the best insurance provider or cheapest insurance provider for me. Um, in order to capture that consumer and do it in a way that's that you can actually uh, uh, make money as an advertiser, you have to have a message that's extremely specific or as specific and enticing as possible to the exact query that a user is making on Google. And then the experience that that consumer is taken to, like a website, has to be finely tuned to get that consumer to take an action. And um, because because paid search is auction-based, and we know through through economics that everyone will will bid up to the to the price to the maximum price they'll pay until they become unprofitable. It's highly competitive, and and so at Centerfield, presumably everybody's doing this. We're constantly looking for um, advantages that other companies don't or can't have so that we can pay a higher price in the auction and capture more customers. We, we believe we're the best at that. So you're, you're talking about the strategy of figuring out where it makes sense to bid more. Um, and instead of focusing on where, where do we have the most efficient bidding? Yeah. Let, let's take, for example, you're, you're based in, you're based in the Midwest, you're based in Illinois, right? Right, Alex. And yep. so, um, and so if you, if, um, let's say you're looking for a new, like a new cell phone or something like that, or a new, new internet plan, um, you do a search on, on Google that you're like, I want, I want the best, you know, the best fiber plan for me. What are, what are, what are things that we can do or someone else can do to make it much more likely you'll buy through us? One is to make sure that the ad copy refers to fiber, maybe even refers to the fact that you're in Illinois. Then when you click on a, on a website, um, it's about the fact that you're in Illinois. It has packages that are specifically about fiber, not about every single type of internet plan. And that, um, and that any way that you would want to <clears throat> connect with a brand, whether it's a phone call, an email, a text, a chat, um, uh, buy online, any of those things are highly personal to your query. And then also finely tuned to make sure that it's a frictionless, easy way to buy. Like, uh, like there are probably 10 or 15 or 20 or 100 micro things that can be done in that experience to make it better for you and more likely to buy. And all of those things become advantages, which would allow a company like Centerfield to pay more for the traffic from Google. That makes a lot of sense. So 
streamlining the customer experience and making it more tailored to the query um, and, and to the customer's intent. That, that's exactly right. And so um, one of the things that we've learned is, um, you know, maybe 50 or 60 or 70 percent of the searches that occur for a specific topic are going to be what refer to what are referred to as head terms, meaning you're just searching for something like Internet providers, Chicago or whatever. And then the rest of the search queries are specific. And so um, if you're significantly better at taking those specific queries and designing a custom experience for those, then you're going to be significantly better at acquiring customers. And then um, personalizing a customer experience once someone once someone makes a click, it becomes th this this cascade of little advantages becomes a massive advantage when you add it all up. And to get to to get to marketing and analytics for a moment, all of all of these little advantages come from asking really good questions, setting up experiments, analyzing the, those experiments, and using those to fuel insights to determine what's my next experiment going to be. Makes sense. Have you tried conquesting um, as a paid search strategy? And what's your perspective on that? I think um, I think conquest conquesting is a great tactic to to try. And just if the if the audience is or the listeners are not um, familiar with what conquesting is, it would it would be like um, uh, if if you're the CMO of of Ford and um, and then someone searches for Chevy. And then there's an ad there that says Ford is better than Chevy or something mm -hmm. like that. That's that's um, that's conquesting. I think it's important to try to try out conquesting because um, when customers are shopping, they're they could be anywhere in the in the buyer journey. You know they could have they could be firmly dead set on buying a Chevy, or or they're they're somewhere between you know ninety nine percent sure and one percent sure. And conquesting is about understanding where 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 like the the weak point is in a consumer's decision making pro process. And giving them an opportunity to explore that weakness and offer them something else. If there's like a a shortcoming to a particular offering, and uh, company B knows that company A has this shortcoming, then company B can bid on a query that a customer may have asking about that shortcoming, and and say how the company B has a better offering in that area. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so, um, you know, a motivation could be price. 
motivation could be style. A motivation, um, you know, could be safety. And so if you're thinking about a conquesting campaign, it's it's really important that you have these hypotheses about why someone might want to make a different decision. And then you're testing those different things as part of a conquesting campaign. What is a good way to measure success in paid search? Well, I think I think about it in terms of um, total gross profit, I guess you would say. Like, um, like, an, and let's say, take it from the perspective of of a brand. So, if a brand has an allowable cost per acquisition of two hundred dollars, <throat> then every customer that you can acquire for less than that is you know, it's it's great. So it's it's every incremental customer I can acquire for less than my allowable cost. I would say you're trying to maximize that. Yeah. So that so that that takes a couple things into into account. Like um as a as a marketing leader, you have to be really tight with your finance partners to understand what a customer is worth. And then um, and then also understand that the customers you're acquiring, are they worth less than, equal to, or more than what your assumptions were by channel, by keyword, that, that kind of thing. And then once you, once you understand that, it's, it's maximizing every single customer you can possibly get at or less than that amount. That's what you should be going for. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I'm sure it gets harder when talking about B to B versus B to C. I gr- agree with that big time, um, especially because there are so many there are so many different touch points. You know, let's let's say that a B to B customer is is worth a whole bunch of money you know like a million 10 million 100 million or 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 whatever and and in order to ladder up to a large contract you know you're going to um you're going to advertise at a conference or sponsor a conference you're going to um you're going to entertain the the uh the client you're going to put up billboards at airports you know all of those all of those different things it's a challenge to understand a real challenge to understand what's successful in in that it's a lot less straightforward than uh than paid search and alex i i don't know if that's what you were getting at no that's exactly it you can almost tear your hair out trying to figure out <laughs> trying to figure out like a like a customer journey especially because you're not really going to have in many cases like like a huge sample size um i mean it depends on the business you know maybe you're maybe your salesforce and you can sell to every 
company in the U.S. But for a lot of a lot of companies, it's not like that. And so, um, so one of the ways, one of the ways to really try to try to break down that barrier is to talk to as many customers and clients as you can and try to understand their decision-making process and also understand uh, why they purchased you or why they didn't purchase you because those can be the the insights that fuel your future campaigns and to try to make a better judgment about how to attribute your marketing spend. Yeah, on that note, how do you... How what's the link between success in paid search and future messaging for content? Do you ever take learnings from what may be searched organically or maybe what's working really well in paid and then turn that into a campaign? Well, um, a couple things. First of all, in in my my experience, paid search is often a bottom of funnel act or mid, mid or bottom of funnel activity. Like I'm looking for a brand or I have, I have a, a, a query or a keyword that's like, um, you know, that's like, I know I want to buy this service. Not necessarily, I don't necessarily know which brand I want to buy. Um, and so in those cases, I would argue you're trying to personalize your ad and, and, personalize or, or customize the landing page or experience such that um, someone's much more likely to buy your product. However, I will give you an example that that I think is is interesting. Let's imagine that um, that some let, let's imagine you're advertising a like a, a hotel or something like that. And people are coming to the landing page and and they're making phone calls and you discover that on these phone calls people are asking a lot about the fitness center or they're asking a lot about um the nearby locations or they're asking about the noise or those sorts of things those are the types of insights that you can use to fuel other parts of your marketing activities. Like I live in Seattle. Maybe if you find those things, you realize that the landing page should be a, you know, a picture of your hotel next to the Space Needle and a gorgeous gym. You know what I mean? So so um, there's always data to, to look at to fuel other to, to fuel experiments or, or fuel upstream marketing activities. That makes sense. Um, yeah, I, I see what you mean. And I think the question was slightly flawed because the goal of paid search is actually capturing demand and routing it in the most efficient way to a purchase, generally, generally speaking. And so like the idea of creating a campaign from what's working should be more, you know, upper funnel, like before that. You know, paid search, I, from my understanding, really dabbles in that, you know, conversion, you know, lower funnel area rather than the upper funnel. When it comes to upper upper funnel stuff, I mean, we're we're thinking a lot right now about the subject of auto insurance. You know, every everyone needs it. It's expensive. All all of those things. And let's say you're trying to launch a brand in 
in auto insurance. You've got to think through what's a customer's motivation. Is it price? Like, is that the thing you're solving for? Or is it confidence that, you know, I'm not confident that I have the right plan? Or is it confusion? I don't totally understand. Um, I don't totally understand how to buy auto insurance. And then, and then when you're launching a brand, it's like, which of those things are you trying to solve for? How do you connect with the consumer about that problem? And then how does your entire brand and value proposition uh, ladder up to that and be consistent such that someone feels like they should buy through you? That's that's the kind that's the kind of thing I think that's more upper funnel. And you can actually use use lower funnel data to help see if your assumptions were right on your upper funnel activities. That makes sense. Should paid search investment um, be increased for areas with weaker organic performance or should paid search be kept as that cherry on top for good organic performance to really like double down on where um, the company is really performing well organically? I would go, I would go back to what's your, what is your allowable cost per acquisition and whether, and, and for any keyword or query, if your, if your paid programs are acquiring customers for equal to or less than that, you should keep your paid search going regardless of whether, where you're at, that organic search. Would you like to know what I, I've asked this question once before. Uh, to a, mm-hmm. a marketing mentor, would you like to know a, another perspective? Yeah, I would. So, if you pay, if you increase budget for low organic performing keywords, then you are giving the incentive for different parts of the business to underperform organically because then they will get higher paid search budget. So, from an incentive perspective, it makes sense to to double down on strong organic performance instead of supplementing weaker performance organically because of the incentives. Mm. Was the motivation of that answer in internal organizational dynamics or was it was it made from an economic point of view? I would say it's much more about organizational dynamics. It was it's not it's not an economic answer. Yeah. So my rebuttal would be <laughs> would be solve solve the organizational uh, uh, dynamics because um, because you should always be seeking to maximize exposure in organic and you should always be seeking to uh, maximize from paid the number of customers that you can get from um, b- below your allowable cost per acquisition. I so like that. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing, I mean, with or with organic, regardless of how your paid search is performing, and I'll just say it another way, regardless of how your paid search is is performing, um, increasing your organic presence is is important because the cost is, you know, your investment is a lot lower, um, and you're not paying 
Google for the media. But but then again, on the on the flip side, no matter how good your organic is, um, you always want a paid program if you can make it make it profitable. And look at the leaders in look at the leaders in travel. Um, I always look at at travel as a uh, as sort of inspiration because you might have TripAdvisor, which is like number one for so many hotel related searches, and they spend a heck of a lot in Google too. So, um, so they've kind of thought through this and and understand that they want to be leaders in both places. Yeah, that that makes sense, and that's that's my perspective. That's my personal perspective as well. I totally agree with you that you know that organizational dynamics is a separate issue. I think um, the the curious part of it is can it be solved? Because you said, you know, we should solve that before and, th- and then move on to an economic perspective. But the question is, can it be solved? Can, in an organization that's, um, lar- you know, n- not a, maybe not a startup, you know, is there a way to control for incentives that may be contrary to business growth? Yeah, that's totally a leadership. That's a leadership thing. So, um from the perspective from the perspective of a marketing professional or an analytics professional i think it's incredibly important to understand your data be super transparent about it and be incredible at articulating what it means to all of the other stakeholders in your organization um because you should be able to come to decisions that are good for every group and you should be able to have you should be able to have metrics and incentives that are good for everyone and if if that's if that's not if it in your organization that's not the case uh, then try to do your best with your marketing and analytics folks to, to, to make that happen. I, I think, I think, uh, transparency, KPI development, articulating what you're solving for, articulating what data means, like that kind of, that kind of truth telling will create proper incentives. Cause I'll, I'll tell you the C, the CMO only has one incentive. It's, it's maximizing market share. Yeah. So talking about incentives, um, you know, when you bring in third parties, that's one of the big questions because, Third parties have different incentives than the core business sometimes. Um, in Centerfield's case, it sounds like the way that, that you're set up to, to kind of take a cut of the customers and, and the sales that you bring in, that makes a lot of sense because it aligns the incentives, but not everybody operates, not every third party operates that way. So um, so the specific question is, um, what's a good way for a company to evaluate a third party's performance for paid search management? Well, I'll give a couple of couple of best practices. Um, one is if I was the if I was the the head of digital marketing for a brand, and let's say that I had an incumbent agency, I had an in-house team, and I had one or more third parties that I was considering as a replacement to one or both. 
one thing that I would do is I would want to hire a third party to evaluate the performance of each. Um, I, I think and and ask them to help set up set up a test and to do a bake off among um, among the various constituents. I would definitely want a bake off, and I would definitely want a third party evaluator um, because you can pretty easily easy is too strong of a word, but but with some analysis, you can set up a a paid search a paid search bake off. Um, that's that's one way that I would that's one thing that I would do. Another thing that I would do when evaluating a, a third party is is understanding what the insights and feedback, kind of the customer insights feedback loop is. Because um, let's say that a let's say that a third party vendor significantly outperforms everyone else. The only the only potential vacuum is if that third party vendor doesn't help you learn in ways that helps the other parts of your business. So as a CMO of a brand, I, I would I would make sure that that there's a way to there's a way to learn. So the specifics of the bake off would be, you know, here's a certain amount of time, maybe a quarter. Here's the budget. Let's divide it in three or however many parties there are, and then kind of see who captures the most demand. How what would the objective look like? Well, the objective could the the KPIs could could be something like um, you know revenue per thousand impressions. Um, you know, if you're looking at it, if you're looking at it that way, um, you know, you could also look at you could also look at you could you could imagine um, that's actually probably what I would do: revenue per thousand impressions. That's that's the most straightforward way to evaluate the uh, the, the different competitors net net i guess net rev net revenue um or customers acquired per thousand impressions and there you'd have to look at costs and and but but it i think it could be pretty straightforward on the topic of metrics i heard a quote recently that i want to hear your reaction to the quote is once a metric becomes a kpi it ceases to become a good metric would you agree? I don't think so. <laughs> don't think so. <laughs> What's the motivation behind that quote? <laughs> I think the idea behind it is that once everybody has their eyes set on increasing a number, they will resort to perhaps unscrupulous means of increasing that number um, because it, it sort of becomes a gamified situation where... Once you know this is how we will be graded, then, you know, the, the individuals who are being graded will do anything, you know, that they can think of to get that number up. But that's not necessarily the point. Um, you know, so, so it's almost like focusing people on a specific number has like the opposite effect sometimes that, that it's intended to. That's the, I think that's the logic. I I mean I, I this is I didn't come up with this, but I'm I'm curious like what your reaction is and, and to what part of it you you would disagree. 
Well, I do see see things like this happen all the time um, in an organization. You know, for for instance, um, if you create an incentive to a team, like like you should have a certain number of experiments per month. You know, folks may may focus on on less meaningful experiments that are easier to easier to execute on to ensure they hit the number as opposed to um, maybe a more complex experiment that can get you a better answer. Which is, that's just something that we, we I encountered recently in our organization. But, um, but the, but I think this is, this totally, it's totally a leadership. It's totally a leadership issue. So if, um, if, an organization is constantly trying to trying to understand what we're solving for and whether or not our initiatives our metrics ladder up to that and have the flexibility and willingness to change on the fly and continually improve you you won't have you won't have that issue or that issue will be minimized i i understand now that now how you've articulated that quote um you know it feels a little bit cynical and <laughs> I and agree. and i and i would just i would just say that that either try to go to an organization where where um that has high emotional intelligence and if not be an agent of change for emotional intelligence so that you don't have to deal with that because those are the kinds of morale killers uh that occur at at work um when you when you kind of your when your brain's telling you you've you've got to hit this metric and your heart is telling you it's not necessarily good for the business that that's that's a really bad situation to be in on the topic of culture you mentioned this a couple times that a lot of this you know this is a you know leadership um area to improve so as a leader what how do you approach culture and improving culture well i don't claim to be an expert in this in this area but i think i think one thing that's really important is um is transparency and so um it's i don't know when this podcast is going to be live but it, but recording this in january and um and i wrote a uh a strategy document for our team and each of our our digital brands at the end of last year and provided it to the in- entire team for feedback and and revisions and and there were and the team had dozens of revisions and suggestions which made it which ended up improving the improving that plan and then um all of the metrics that we have because we have a bunch of different digital brands a lot of initiatives we go over them with the entire team which is probably you know, 40 or or 50 folks um, every month. And then we're always questioning what our strategy is. So openness, transparency, uh, willingness to be, willingness to be wrong, uh, willingness to, to um, take constructive criticism, like, like uh, being, being humble, like all those things are super important in my view. They, and they set, they set the tone, you know, organizations, Another another thing that I would I would say is most organizations have a set of values, you know, and those 
and those values are always like like be an owner and uh you know and take risks and and all, all of those things everyone has their different versions of those it's it's whether or not your leaders truly live by those and demonstrate by example that um that really make a difference in long-term performance and culture if you're worried about something in the business let's say an existential threat as a leader do you have a responsibility to to be honest about that yeah totally um you know uh if i'm worried about like google building something that that will um you know that that will take our hurt us in some way. I don't know why I came up with that example, but, <laughs> but let's just, let's say some, some, some threat. I think it's important to, uh, to discuss that threat with your team, but I'm sure there are certain exceptions to that. Like there's some, there's something where it's important to maintain confidentiality or, or whatever, but, but by and large, if, if your entire team knows what you're thinking, then you have more people trying to solve that problem which is always a good thing. Yeah, and I think another advantage is it's not you know only leadership's job to think of solutions. In fact, I think it's quite the opposite and I'm curious what your perspective is here, but I think that the the way that the relationship between the different let's say echelons in the business operate is the leadership should be defining the the larger problems to solve and the focus of the organization and the middle management and you know at the ground analyst level this is where the solutions should come from so really diving into where do we see the most revenue opportunity to address this issue and then coming back up to leadership to express here's the solutions that we found would you generally agree that's the way it should go yeah uh totally i mean if if um if you're hiring if there's someone in your organization who isn't independently solving problems they're simply taking orders for lack of a better phrase then um then that resource is being underutilized and you're not you're not getting as many good ideas to come to the table so it's 100% right i really like that you agree and cuz this means a lot to me as somebody in business um <laughs> I don't know how how to phrase it, but I I'm a very um, I don't like the idea of you know very detailed job titles where everything is like junior senior um, you know there there's there, there's like all these little subdivided rungs basically and not every organization is focused on this. Some organizations are much flatter than others. And the hypothesis I have is that the organizations that have less of a focus on the rungs and where everybody sits actually probably have more innovation because if you if everybody's obsessed with the with the level that they're at, then they'll have a tendency, in my opinion, to discount the lower levels and apply a premium to the higher levels uh, ideas and or the higher level people's ideas. And would you agree generally that like to, that that flatter organizations have a greater opportunity for innovation? I like where your head's at. I I would um I'd go slightly different, which is um if if 
teammates and colleagues feel empowered, then then titles and where where you sit in the office and all that stuff goes away. So um, I think being empowered to solve problems and it is is a form is a form of respect and when everyone feels respected and empowered you don't focus on things like titles with respect to how um with respect to how flat an organization is i think i think for me um it's mostly important that everybody has a leader that they can spend meaningful time with each month. So, you know, that that's to have your career conversations, your mentorship conversations, to have someone to bounce something off of, something that you you someone that you look up to. And so um I think I think with respect to how flat an organization is, like like if if you know, if everybody reports to one person, you end up losing a little bit of that ability to have a one-on-one mentor because that person doesn't have time to have meaningful conversations with everyone. So it's a it's a balance. You got to kind of solve for both things. I yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And so you're you're saying generally that the issue of the you know discounting of ideas is more a factor of the empowerment of the individuals at the organization rather than the titles. The titles are more of a symptom, um, focusing on the titles rather than the core issue, which is empowering people to feel ownership over the business and to feel feel the the respect uh, you know that that they will be listened to if they're thinking about new innovations and new solutions for the business. That's right. That's my opinion anyway. <laughs> I to- I really like that. And I-, I think that there's a lot of truth to that. So thank you for um, for enlightening me and-, and the audience. Sure thing. Um, so how um, what's the difference between branded and unbranded paid search activity? So um, so a branded branded paid search is when someone includes your brand or a competitive brand in their search term and and unbranded is when that doesn't happen so searching for all state versus searching for um like cheapest auto insurance that's that's the difference and um and so with with branded search the customer experience is is reinforcing why a customer uh why why a customer search for your brand in the first place and then taking them on the right path to to buy. Um, and then an unbranded search, it's it's um, well, I guess it, I guess it depends on where and where you're coming from. Like uh, like because uh, a lot of what we do at at, at Centerfield is is provide um, comparisons. So so that's a little bit of a different case than if you're if you're all state and you're asking yourself, should I bid on the term cheapest auto insurance? I think um, I think if you're making that decision from the perspective 
of of a brand, you want to you just want to ask your ask yourself um, if I'm if I want to bid on the term cheap, do I really have a brand pillar that ladders up to that or not? You know what I mean? And you could let you could let the data you could let the uh, the data tell you that question, but I think it's also a good I think it's also a good marketing question to ask, which is just because someone's searching for your service doesn't necessarily mean you should try to to bid on that term. That makes sense, and and I think to add to that, you know, unbranded would probably come more in the beginning of the customer experience when they don't have a clearly formed consideration set, and so maybe they're searching for. Um, you know, the category that your business uh, exists in, and then branded search would be mid or even lower funnel when they know the different players and they're doing more research and they're getting closer to a purchase. Yeah, that that's right. And I think, I think also if you're a marketer for, for a brand and there are these kind of um, jump ball keywords, I think the, the question to ask is, do you want to focus on advertising your brand in those cases, or do you want to do you want to focus more on where consumers will make a choice? Like to, we've talked about travel and hotels and and stuff like that. Um, you know, if you're if you're Marriott and someone's searching for the best hotel, Seattle, do you want to focus on paid search there? Or do you want to focus on your presence on TripAdvisor, Expedia, and those sorts of places? You know, because that that may be where the fundamental customer decision is going to happen, and you want to focus your uh, your budget or your time or your energy in, in those types of those types of places. That's interesting, and and I think that that leads me to think of the idea of marketing landscape or at least the customer mm-hmm. activity landscape and where things are happening how do you know the the behavior of the customer uh, as they go through the funnel um, you know let's say they're going on google but they also go on different websites for consideration so as a customer moves through the funnel towards conversion how do you know what path paths they're taking well on your own on your own corporate website you can try to you or brand website, you can try to derive that. Like, um, like, let's say that, let's say that you have a website and, um, and you have some, some pages, which are answering like research questions, some, which are at, you know, answering customer service questions. You have all of these different types of pages on your website. And, and let's say on every single one, you decide to put like a purchase call to action. Well, the the all the pages that nobody converts at, on, you shouldn't say those pages are worthless. Instead, maybe remove the the purchase CTA and try to imagine what the customer is trying to solve for and where else they could go on your site to make the to take the next step. Um, that doesn't necessarily answer the question of like what people are are doing before they get to your website, but that's that's a way. That's a way of thinking about it and can really inform your organic search strategy, among other things. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Do you think that there's ever opposition to taking away a CTA from a page that 
is lending itself to a more mid funnel page, but you know, people don't want to give up the opportunity to close people or convert people. I think, yeah, I think there would be, there would be opposition if you didn't, um, if you didn't make a good case, I, I think, um, I think there needs to be a forum for open discussion about learning from users and like, like, how can we learn from this customer insight? You know, one one approach. Let's say there's this there's this one page in our website that that you know that only one percent click on the on this the call to action, whereas every other page it's five percent. You know, I think I think the 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 bad reaction to that is oh we just need to make the CTA bigger, <laughs> um, and the 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 good reaction to that is is let's try to understand why customers are on this page and then we can make a, a better decision on what to do would you think would you say that the perfect marketing mix and balance between you know different funnel stages and bidding on different kinds of keywords that the improvements need to be in a step change fashion in, in a small step fashion rather than imagining like a totally different balance that is optimal I, I like where your head's at there. Um, I, I struggle with that a little bit because um, because sometimes like like when you're making a series of, of incremental changes, you can kind of miss bigger picture things. Um, I wish I could give you an example example of that. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is is when you're doing tests, Every once in a while, I would recommend testing an experience that's totally different than one that you have, looking at all the data and, and, and trying to trying to learn from it. Um, I can I can think of a couple of examples recently where we did something really, really different and it didn't it didn't quote unquote perform better than uh than the control in terms of conversion, but we learn things about users that fueled better experiments against the control. I don't know whether that's too vague of an answer, but um, but I, I do think you want to make step changes, and I also think think you want to try to shake up what you know by doing a couple of big tests here and there. For some reason, that made me think of an idea I had in the past of a web page that is basically run by an AI and it's just a one page website for a company and it just asks the user a series of questions, maybe one or two to start with, and then compiles information that's relevant to the user. So it's it takes the customization thing that we do with A-B testing and with um, dynamic landing pages to the next level where it's only dynamic. Um, rather than like a preset group of, um, you know, variations. Do you think that's probably mm -hmm. where websites are going? Where instead of the user navigating, the website is navigating and just asking guiding questions to the user? I do think, I do think that is, that that's a great experience. Like um, if you're asking user a set of discovery questions, and um, and then you're 
customizing an experience based on that. I know that's not exactly exactly what you said, but um, but you know something that that was figured out in the telesales space a long time ago is when you're calling a phone number, ask if ask right away if you're calling for sales or service, mm-hmm. <laughs> because because when you when you when you do that, you make things much much better for the user and for yourself. Um, and I'm seeing a lot of lead generation websites tr- try to do that, not not fueled by by AI, but just almost trying to qualify why someone is at a page really, really quickly, um, which which makes a a uh, shopper, in my opinion, feel like they're being listened to and heard. Um, which is another way of of saying you're customizing an experience. Yeah, this is this is all so interesting. Um, yeah, I'm sure we could go on, but I, I think this is a really good. Um, yeah, this has been a really good discussion. Thank you, John. Yeah, you're welcome, Alex. Thanks a ton for doing this.